You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rival. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with some of the most passionate, hardworking, and limitless thinkers on this planet who have a story to share, a brand that inspires, or a fire inside of them to live life on their own terms. The intention behind each episode is simple, and that's to include you in these conversations so that you can learn, apply, and grow in your own life and business. If I can share one quick secret with you before we begin, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us, but perhaps somewhere along the line, someone told you to play small, to play safe, and that led you to live an ordinary life. Tuning into visionary life will help you dust off the limiting beliefs you carry around so that you can begin to create your own most visionary life. It's in you, it's in all of us. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I am chatting with one of Canada's best loved authorities on personal finance. Melissa Leong is a sought after speaker, national media personality, best selling author, and award winning writer. She's the author of the Feel Good Finance Guide, Happy Go Money, and is the resident money expert on Canada's leading daytime talk show, The Social, on CTV. Her articles have appeared in newspapers across the country, including the personal finance writer for the Financial Post. Through her channels, Melissa reaches millions of Canadians in a quest to help them manage their money while maximizing happiness. She's always a go-to money expert for radio and television programs, appearing on BNN, CBC Radio, Breakfast Television, CP24, Global News, Canada AM, and News Talk 1010, just to name a few. Over the last 15 years, she has covered a variety of subjects, including crime, politics, terrorism, arts, and business for the National Post, the Toronto Star, and the Globe and Mail. She has profiled survivors of the Rwandan genocide, investigated nanny abuse in Hong Kong, and interviewed thousands of subjects, including heads of state, royalty, and celebrities. Her self-published paranormal adventure novels, What Kills Me and I Am Forever, written under the pen name Wynne Channing, have sold almost 70,000 copies and soared to number one on the bestsellers list on Amazon. In her spare time, she mentors youth and volunteers for organizations that promote the advancement and empowerment of young women. She's also fully prepared for a zombie invasion, and if that doesn't occur, she's happily saving for retirement and for her kids' education. More on Melissa in a moment, but first, I'll share a quick update. So I don't know about you, but do you guys ever have those days when you just feel a little stuck or unmotivated or uninspired? I'm assuming many people are nodding along and perhaps you see that to-do list and it's growing and growing, but you're just having trouble mustering up the energy and the zest to get it done. Okay, so I need to share a tip with you because I was kind of having one of those days today. It's Sunday, it's a little gloomy, but I have learned over the last three or four years of being a business owner that I have a really effective system for pulling yourself right out of these ruts and tackling a lot of the key items that you wanted to get done with ease, okay? So here's what I do. It's super simple and you're gonna think, okay, does this really work? Yes, it does. Grab yourself a scrap piece of paper 
you're just going to write out the hours that you have remaining in a day. So for me right now, I would write 2 to 3 p.m., 3 to 4 p.m., 4 to 5 p.m., 5 to 6, all the way until I plan to go to bed. And I'm going to write one task in each hour. Okay, so super simple. I have like eight more hours in my day, so I know I can get at least eight things done on my list. So I've written out podcast in the hour from two to three. I'm going to go to the gym from three to four, um, from four to five. I just left it as come home from gym and shower. I've got some meal prep slotted in there, a couple more work things that I need to tackle. But the point is... I know then that looking ahead to the end of the day, I'm going to have everything done and it won't feel overwhelming because it's all written out right in front of me. And if you don't follow it to a T, that's okay. But at least you've got a plan and something that can keep you on a little bit of a schedule. Because if you guys know the quote, when you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? So you just need to plan ahead a little bit. So I just wanted to share that with you because, you know, we all have these moments and unfortunately, when you're a business owner, it's important to try and limit the amount of time that you sit and wallow in these types of moments. So I thought I'd share that trick with you because it works wonders for me. So back to Melissa, she was such a joy to chat with. She's very real authentic as you're going to hear in the episode. She's funny and she's smart as hell. So in this episode of the Visionary Life podcast, we chat about what she was up to before she got into the world of personal finance and writing about money, why she quit working for the Financial Post and decided to begin building her own brand. She shares some of the first steps she took in building her personal brand and what it really took of her to bring it to life. She shares how she manages to run her business and be a wife and be a mama. The big milestones that helped her solidify her belief in herself and the path that she was on. And you're going to get some of her top tips for those of you who may not be so great or still have a little bit to learn when it comes to managing your money. So be sure to go check out Melissa online. You can find her at melissaleong.com or on Instagram at lisleong, so L-I-S-L-E-O-N-G, or you can find it in the show notes. Enjoy this episode with Melissa and I'll catch you on the other side. Thanks to Healthy Planet for supporting this episode. Did you know that prior to becoming a business coach, I actually graduated from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition. During this time, I made some radical shifts in my diet and in my health, one of which included adding in a lot more healthy fats. And you want to know one of my secret ingredients to getting them in with ease? It's hemp seeds. I know, right? You probably wouldn't have guessed that. I don't even know if all of you have hemp seeds in your cupboards, but you should. So did you know that hemp seeds are a complete source of protein and have all nine essential amino acids in them? And let me tell you, they add such a good taste to a fresh salad or to a smoothie or to the top of a warm soup. My go-to brand is Manitoba Harvest Hemp Hearts. They're Canadian owned and operated and they're grown close to home, which is awesome. So if you want to grab yourself some healthy, brain-loving fats, I'm going to suggest that you shop at Healthy Planet. 
I'm a big advocate of Healthy Planet, and I've been shopping there for over five years now. So whether you choose to do an online order, they can ship straight to your door, or to visit one of their 30-plus stores, Healthy Planet is truly your one-stop shop for all things natural, healthy, and holistic. You can use code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save 10% on any online order that's a minimum of $49. So head to healthyplanetcanada.com and then use code VISIONARY10 at checkout. All right. So Melissa, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. You have actually been a requested guest because I know some of our audience members have actually seen you on the social TV where you're a regular guest. And so I'm so excited to finally share your story and what you're up to and all about your book today on the show. So thank you for being here. Thanks, Kelsey. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So we always dive into the show just with some rapid fire questions just to warm you up and to kind of just have a little fun right off the bat. Right. Does that sound I'm ready. good? I'm ready. All right. So where did you grow up, Melissa? Winnipeg, Slurpee capital of the world. Oh, why is it the Slurpee capital? I have no idea. It's bizarre because it is minus 40 degrees there and we are drinking really cold drinks. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> sounds year. like an oxymoron. <laughs> I have no idea. I think it's because, honestly, 20 years running, it's the Slurpee capital of the world. We drink a lot of Slurpee there. I think there's a 7-Eleven location that sells the most uh, beverages per capita, um, and we are proud of it. That's funny. Well, I learned something new today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What was your first job? My first job, I'm not going to include babysitting or working at my family's restaurant. We owned a restaurant uh, in Winnipeg for 70 years. So I'm not going to count that, but I will say that my first, uh, my first job that I felt like it was a job was working at the movie theater. And so mm. I did it all. I made pizza. I made popcorn. I washed floors. I, uh, we had a Taco Bell location there too. So I made tacos. I know a lot more about pouring meat out of a bag than I ever want. <laughs> all right. I'm never going to eat at the yeah. movie theater again. <laughs> um, what is one thing you do every single day that's non-negotiable for you? Oh gosh, there, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking this morning about all the things that I don't do that are supposed to be non-negotiable, like brush my teeth in the mornings or um, shower. But, you know, I I have a six-month-old and a very high-maintenance four-year-old. And so I feel sometimes that I take care of everyone else and I don't take care of me. So there really isn't anything that's non-negotiable that I I. I will forget to eat. And I've done, I'm, I'm a workaholic sometimes. I mean, in my twenties I was, and so I would forget to eat and go to the bathroom. So I don't know how to answer that actually. I would that say what I like right. to do is I try to do gratitude exercises oh, as, as I like often that. as I can. It's not really a non-negotiable. It's more of a survival thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess you're in a phase of your life too, where you have a lot going on. And unfortunately it is sometimes other people's needs that come before your own. So when Absolutely. you can squeeze in those things, it's great, but oftentimes you just have to go with the flow, right? <laughs> yes. And what is one piece of money advice that you would give to everybody? Pay yourself first. Ooh, I like that. Actually, so everybody, I, I, I know it's, it sounds cliche and I was like, what does that mean? Well, it's, if you look at your bank account, all of your bills that automatically come out, you are giving your money away to everybody else, but you, 
And so I would, you know, I would say you are the most important. So before you go and you pay Starbucks Mm -hmm. (laughs) or anything else, uh, set something up where you have money going to your future. Mm, That's such a great idea and so often overlooked, I think. So I'm glad you shared that. Okay. So Melissa, we're going to take it back a little bit. I know you haven't always been one of Canada's best loved authorities in personal finance. I know you started kind of in a different world. So maybe you could just take us through your career path. What did you study in university and what was your first job out of school? Just walk us through that phase of your life. I'll give you the Coles Notes version. I, um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Stephen King. Um, I always, whenever I say that, I, I, his, his photo pops up in my head and I, (laughs) ha, no, um, I wanted to be a novelist, but I also wanted a practical career and something that I thought would be a little bit more stable. And so I chose newspaper journalism, right? Cause that'll last forever. Uh, but journalism is an, an, an incredible, um, it's an incredible passion, of mine. And so I have been, I was a newspaper reporter for, um, for several newspapers as I've worked at the Globe and Mail, I've worked at the Toronto Star, the National Post, um, the Winnipeg Free Press, and I've covered everything. So I've been the arts and life reporter. I was uh, the crime reporter for the National Post for a while where I worked out of uh, police headquarters. I covered terrorism. So I, I covered uh, Canada's first terrorism trial uh, at the courthouse. I've gone on on campaign buses. And so there's great adventure with that. And I truly believed in it. I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to change people's lives. I wanted to affect the world um, with content, with information. And so I got moved to the Financial Post when they downsized the arts and life section of the National Post. And I was heartbroken because this was my dream job. I was, you know, traveling and writing about food and and, uh, interviewing movie stars. And whenever your career pivots, you have a choice to wallow, which I did for a little while, and then to pick it up and see, well, how can I grow from this? What can I learn? And because I'm competitive and mostly competitive with myself, I thought, well, I'm going to be amazing at this. And so I, I ended up writing about personal finance for the Financial Post. And I discovered that it is everything that I had ever wanted out of a career, which is telling stories because money is all about your life. You're, it's about um, uh, opportunities. It's about transitions, it's about milestones like weddings and, and babies and death and um, money is about vanity. It's about pride. It's about who you are. And so, and I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people lead better lives. And now I do that by spreading the good word of financial empowerment. Hmm. I love that. And I love that there's this through line. Like when you got into journalism, I was just taking some notes there. You said you got into it because you wanted to tell stories and change lives. And as your career evolved, that's still kind of the through line of why you do what you do. It's just in a different format. And I think that's such an important lesson for us to learn that when life does throw you curveballs, like being changed uh, from one department to the other, or maybe you get let go from a job and you have to join a different 
industry, there's still opportunity to maintain that deeper why of maybe why you loved that career path or why it was that you were doing a certain um, a job and, and bringing that to your next opportunity, to your next career path. And it sounds like you were really able to maintain that because you still are telling stories and changing lives by delivering advice on personal finance. So I think that's amazing. I think um, it's not as easy as it sounds. I think when you talk to entrepreneurs, when you talk to people who are in um, different fields, they think, oh, that sounds, oh, you just, you just discovered your why, the meaning of it all. And I would say that it was messy. And I would say that I stumbled a lot. And yes, I do still tell, tell stories. I do still provide information through podcast interviews, through television, through my book. Um, but I had to, I had to, you know, I had to start from a place of crap. I have no idea. I don't know anything about mergers and acquisitions and you're putting me into business. I don't want to be here. I am starting from zero. And so that's the same thing that it gives me confidence that I can help somebody become better acquainted with their money situation because I also started from a place where I don't, th I don't know. I know a little bit about money, but I don't know enough to, you know, help people. But mm -hmm. now I do, but it's the start. It's always the start. Whenever you start something, you think, how am I going to do this? But you know, the road of a thousand steps. It starts with one. Definitely. And I think that makes really what you do so relatable too, because as much as sometimes we can feel like, oh my gosh, like, am I really the right person to be delivering this message? How am I going to be the, the quote unquote expert? I mean, we're all looking for mentors or, or people to inspire us who are just a few steps ahead of us. And it sounds like you really took on that journey of saying, okay, I'm going to learn right along with you and, and teach what I know. So I would love to know when you first got into, um, got transferred to the financial post, like what was your relationship with money at that point? Did you know a lot? What was your, your personal situation at that time? Were you feeling confident uh, stepping into this new role? I did not feel confident at all. And I think confidence is, for me, it has always been something to earn. Um, I don't really believe in the fake it till you make it. I, I, I believe that you can fake it till you make it on the outside, but from a, um, from a place of where you can stand and own the space, I had to do the work. And so I, um, uh, I took the Canadian securities course as a base. I tried to find mentors in my field. I read everything I could. I tried to absorb as much information as possible. And through the process of obviously talking to people and writing about money and sharing content about money, you learn, you can't learn it all in a day, but I've done it for almost a decade now. So I feel, I feel pretty confident at the time when I did make the switch, I didn't know a lot about business myself, my money habits. If you think about your own money habits, usually what you've learned from your family and the language that they use. And sometimes I do believe that you also carry with you what you were born with. You know, some people are savers and some people are not. Some people are, you know, the person, were you the kid who hoarded all your candy uh, at Halloween till the next Halloween, like me? Or were you like my husband and you ate it all in a day? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I was the person who was uber cheap. I, I loved sales. Um, I knew a little bit about money because I had the fortunate, uh, pro and con actually of having a friend who was my financial advisor. And so we had lots of money conversations. I had RSPs. I had um, uh, purchased real estate at that point in my twenties. 
I had life insurance and disability insurance by my late 20s, I think. And uh, I, I feel like I was not an expert, but I think I was pretty good. I, I didn't feel super confident. <laughs> um, I, I did le let my uh, financial advisor drive a lot, but I felt like I, I had a good base. Mm, yeah, I love that. Um, so at this point, you're, you're now taking on a new role in journalism at the Financial Post. Um, what happens from there? Like, how long did you stay in that role? Because obviously, in the years after that, there was a book and there started to be more media appearances and public speaking. So I'd love for you to just paint a picture for the listeners who are curious, like, well, how does she go from, you know, working as a journalist to all of a sudden being an author? Can you just walk us through a little bit of that time in your life and how things started to unfold once you found this new path of talking about finance? So my husband became sick in 2014, shortly after we got married. And that made me reevaluate a lot of things in my life and how I spent my time. I was always on the go before then. Uh, and then a year later, we were, we were so lucky to um, uh, introduce my four-year-old uh, hmm, wild one uh, into the world. <laughs> Very and polite. <laughs> that, uh, uh, I, th I swear, he must like wake up and snort cocaine when I'm out working. And then he's so You're really making me want to have babies. So now. <laughs> much energy. I don't understand. Like it could be at one in the morning and I'm passed out. He's like, mom, let's play. Um, but the, the, the other one is so chill. Like he's surfer dude chill. But, uh, I wanted to spend more time with him. I wanted to, to be with this little person who I thought was the best person I had ever met in my life. And so I quit working the post full time and I was faced with, well, I need to find something that fits with my, my new mandate, which is, you know, also being available to my family. And I realized that I had so many skills in my back pocket uh, that had to do with brand building. I had written two teen novels ahead of that and self-published them. They sold 70,000 copies around the world. And I had to build a brand from scratch because they were written under a pen name. And so I learned from that. I learned that I um, can pitch media because I have received thousands upon thousands of pitches. Well, I, received, I re would receive, you know, um, dozens of them in, in a single day. So I realized that uh, it was time to work for me and to build my own company and to build my own name. And so that required building the brand, which is, you know, what I have now. Um, so I, 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 I'm a speaker, I'm an author, uh, I create content online, and I also do strategic collaborations with companies and with them, um, still with media companies as well. Like I've got some other things coming up, um, working as a freelancer. I do a lot less writing. Uh, only because I've spent I spent a long time writing. I, I'm I'm good I'm good with my writing. I want to explore other things where I feel a little bit less sure of myself, and that way I know that I'm growing. Mm. Do you remember what some of the very first things you did when you decided to quit your job and go out on your own? Like, what did you start with? Like, did you just like throw up an Instagram profile or a website or did you start networking? Like, I think the idea to most people of quitting their job and building a brand for themselves, though they want to do it, 
it's so overwhelming. It's like, how am I going to make money? How am I going to get my first client? How are people even going to know that I'm doing this? So I'm wondering, do you remember any of those little tangible items that you did to begin building your brand? Oh my gosh. I have so many, I have just from different things, even from building the brand as a teen novelist, I remember putting my books up and saying, I'm giving away 10 books for free and no one... <laughs> took me up on the offer because no one knew oh I existed. God. You can't just put a book on Amazon. It's like putting like, you know, a pin in the hay- a needle in a haystack, right? It's yes. Just, they have, you have to point people to it. And so I think about the beginning and what was most helpful was starting out, uh, was reaching out to people in my field, people that I admired, people in the community. It's the same way as when I quit my job, I looked at people who were doing something that I wanted to be doing. And um, I know it's cliche, you know, you write them and you say, Hey, can you know, like, I'd love to meet you for coffee or just pick your brain. Um, but you know what, those, the people who, who gave me their time and, and an incredible amount of people gave me their time in the beginning, they're still mentors today. And, and we're colleagues today. And, and um, I still write them and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to accept this job. And, uh, what do you think of the deal? What do you think of the, the terms of this deal? Like, have you ever done something similar? And, and it's just great to, to start building this community that you're, you know, I know you're the new kid on the block, but you got to make friends in the schoolyard. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was one of the very first things that I did. The other thing that I did was um, in speaking to other entrepreneurs, my husband is an entrepreneur and that was really great because I didn't have the entrepreneur mindset. And, and originally it's this, you know, you know, when you're working for yourself, it's feast or famine. So I'm I'm lucky that I started before I quit. I had started building things before so that I was still making money and I wasn't as as afraid to just let go. But when I was on my own, I wanted to accept every job that came my way. I just thought, oh, well, I need to make money. Yes, 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 I'll do that. Yes, yes, yes. And my husband was just, he was just flabbergasted. He was like, no, Melissa, you, you show people your worth by every job that you do. And so if you take the jobs that are not going to get you where you want to be, you're not going to get where you want to be. So really every single piece of work that you choose to do. Um, and because I had the luxury of, of, of having some, you know, money to fall back on because I had worked and and banked something that I didn't have to feel so desperate. I could be a little bit smarter about the jobs I took. Mm, Yeah. I think it's so easy to say yes to everything in the early days, but if you can learn that lesson sooner rather than later that you need to discern between what is actually something that you want to do and are good at versus just doing everything for the sake of making a dollar. I mean, that's, it's a tough lesson to learn, but there's only so much time in the day and you don't become an entrepreneur to be a slave to your own schedule. So I think that's really Absolutely. important. And I also think that from him is, is what he taught me too, is optics are really important when you're starting to build something, especially when you have a, an online presence. I mean, everybody can find anything about you online. You know, you, you can Google me and, and find episodes that I've done of something from six years ago, whether I'm proud of them or not. And so you also have an incredible ability to curate how you appear online with your own Instagram feed, with your website. And so when you do jobs, you have to, does this job elevate my brand? Does this job push my career forward or push my business forward? Um, And if it doesn't, then maybe it's something you should, you know, just put a little bit more uh, consideration before you choose to do it for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point too, that optics are important and not that we should be like crafting this insane image of ourselves, but 
you are a public figure at that point when you decide to create a brand and you're right, everything is searchable online. So be conscientious of how you present yourself. And um, if you are saying like, you're so busy and blah, 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 like people aren't going to want to work with the person who seems to be time poor and have no extra time to take on any other work. So it is really important to just make sure that you're, you're showing your best side on online because everything is open for people to see. And, right. And, and really it's just important. even even to go back every few years and make sure everything is cohesive. Like I just had my girlfriend who, um, um, she's, she's such a great, I wish I could just hire her for my team. Um, she's always checking in on my brand. I just randomly. And so she just wrote me literally 24 hours ago and said, Hey, I just Googled your name and this photo came up. It's old. Change it. And I love it. I love it. Yes. She said, she said, it's, it's old. Just change it to your much more beautiful self now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was beautiful then too, but I get it. You know, cohesiveness. Yeah. You almost have to like audit yourself every six months or once a year just to refresh. What have I put online that I need to be taking down? So great point. Um, okay. So what were some of like the really big, exciting milestones that you hit when you started to build your own brand and when you became an entrepreneur full-time for yourself? Oh, those are, okay, I'll just name three because when you're building, everything seems so, um, you know, I think mini milestones are really important. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we celebrate big milestones and that's great, but I mean, the mini milestones are, are something that a little bit easier to achieve and they feed your, um, well, they fuel your motivation and they also feed that part of you that, that you should celebrate the small wins. And it's, uh, I'm all about making small achievable goals, uh, breaking anything down to bite-sized mini goals. But the big things for me personally were, um, you know what? I was going to say this, but I actually don't feel this way now. Um, I was going to say hitting 10 K in my Instagram feed mm-hmm. or sort of in my Instagram community, but that's not, I, I didn't celebrate it. I didn't say anything. I just feel more appreciative that, um, the people comment, the people reach out to me, the people reach out to me on DM and, and they, uh, say something was helpful mm-hmm. that, uh, I made their day or, or that part of me is, it resonates with me more. Uh, writing a book and publishing the book. And one of my, the best days of my life was my um, book launch party because so many people that um, I care about and that care about me just throughout the business, throughout my, my career came out to support. And it was great to see, uh, to see your people, your community and what you've built. I mean, your strength is your, are you, you know, is your relationships and, and actual people. So the fact that all of these people took time out of their lives to be there, to share this with me, that was, was incredible. And, um, a personal milestone that I've been working towards for, for years was getting, uh, was linking up with a um, speakers agency, with a talent agency. I had been trying to get with the speakers bureau for years um, and not just any speakers bureau. I wanted a very specific <laughs> speakers bureau. I had uh, good friends who were with them and spoke highly of them. And uh, uh, that happened uh, last month or two over the summertime. Um, and that was a great, uh, a great, milestone for me because it's something I had had wanted and I worked for so long to get. And it was, it was, uh, you know, people think, how did you do that? how did you get that? And I think, well, 
I did apply lots <laughs> and um, uh, to different places and, and didn't receive any, um, any bites, but I just worked backwards and tried to reverse engineer what I needed to do to be more attractive. Mm -hmm. um, I love that you share that because you're right. People can kind of look at your business and say, oh, well, of course it was easy for her to get a speaking gig or um, they probably reached out to her. But at the end of the day, most people, that's not their story. It's persistence. It's showing up day after day and creating value and content and, and you know, asking them to, to have you join their speakers bureau. And it doesn't always happen overnight and you have to continue and keep pushing for what you want. Right. And, um, I just think it's great that you shared that it only just happened for you a few months ago on this journey. Um, and back to kind of what you were saying of the milestone of hitting 10 K on Instagram. It's like, yay, that's a great number. I have so many clients who say, yeah, I want to build up my following to X amount, but it's so true that at the end of the day, wouldn't you just rather have a community of people who feel comfortable reaching out to you, who message you and say that your content really um, changed their life or assisted them in overcoming some sort of obstacle? Like To me, that is so much more valuable than just showing the number. And I think it's so cool that um, through the content that we put out, we can impact lives one at a time. And the people who reach out and tell you so, that's so much more meaningful than someone who just decides to quote unquote, follow you on Instagram. So I think that's an important reminder for all of us um, to not sure. always strive for the number. For sure. I feel like the, we do the same thing with money. We think, oh man, it'd be so great if I made, you know, say I said 10,000 followers. Oh man, it'd be so great if I had like $10,000 in the bank right now. And you strive and you strive and you push, but the number is kind of, it's arbitrary, you know, especially since all the research shows that once you get to the number that you magically picked, um, you actually don't feel satisfied anymore. You want more. Mm, it's so true. So on that topic, your book, Happy Go Money, it's on these topics of happiness and money. And so could you give the listeners a rundown of, first of all, why you decided to write this book and what it's about? Absolutely. I, uh, I had always wanted to write a personal finance book that was relatable to people that helped people solve a problem. Um, and the problem I want to solve was balance. I think people uh, struggle with finding balance in their life and trying, I, I would ask all of my friends, so like, what's the problem? What's your money issue? Like, what, what's your end goal? And they're like, I just want to be happy. So I need to go and buy this. I need to do this. I need to, you know, go on vacations and all these things because they're trying to be happy. And so I thought, let me try to write something that will, um, speak to this <laughs> issue that we're all wrestling with. But again, that book floated around in my head and on paper with different, with my literary agent for maybe seven years. And it wasn't until my husband, um, he had a mental health breakdown in 2014, and he is, he is the happiest person I had met until that point. We had permadated for, for 10 years prior to getting married, so I knew what I was getting into, except I didn't, because when he became sick, the only thing that I could do to help was try to be happy. So I learned everything I could about positive psychology, about behavioral psychology, um, I was trying anti-inflammatory mood-boosting diets. We were, you know, going to um, retreats and wellness centers and um, Buddhist temples. And so 
what I realized was in this conversation about trying to find happiness, nobody's really talking about money. But from my work at the Financial Post, I knew that we're all trying to buy happiness. We're all going into debt on our credit cards. We're all trying to play the lottery so that we can get the ultimate win and be happy forever. Or we are uh, buying all these things and then regretting it. So my book is a culmination of everything that I know about happiness and everything that I know about money. And hopefully it helps people uh, find their own path and to reevaluate their own relationship with money. Mm-hmm. So awesome because so often the guests that we have on the show, they, they talk about kind of this merger of life experience and their career path and how that inspired almost like a new realm of research. And I love to hear you say that, you know, you were working and writing about personal finance and then your husband kind of had his own mental issues that you were problem solving for. And all of a sudden it's like this Um, merger of wanting to write a book on happiness psychology and personal finance because of your experience uh, navigating both of those at the same time. And that's so unique. Like I've never heard anyone bring those two topics together and and write a book about it. And that's what I think makes you uh, a perfect guest for the Visionary Life podcast. So uh, in your research and in your writings, like, did you find that money does buy happiness or is it the complete opposite where money has zero correlation to your happiness levels? Money absolutely has a correlation with your happiness levels because you need it to survive and you need a roof over your head. You need um, to feel some sense of security, but uh, research has shown that that connection is, is just not as strong as we would like to think. I mean, there's no, you know, if you have this, you will be happy forever. So the researchers break happiness into two types. There is how you feel day to day. That's your daily happiness. And then how you feel about your life as a whole. So an evaluation of your life. So I judge my life to be, you know, this blank in terms of satisf- in terms of satisfaction. So when it comes to that, there's been some research that's been done about, you know, creating magic numbers because people love to hear those. It's between 60, I think it's about 60 to $75,000 US pre-tax single family household. That's the sweet spot that you need to make to be optimally happy on a day-to-day basis. When it comes to life satisfaction, that figure is closer to 90. Mm -hmm. Interesting thing is, I mean, this is, these are just, this is an average. I mean, you could make a lot less and a lot more and still maybe find your your sweet spot. The interesting thing is when you make over that amount, there was a a association with a reduction in happiness. Now, that is not to say that you need to make exactly $70,000 to be perfectly happy because everyone, according to research, has their own happiness set point. You can win the million dollars, but guess what? Uh, After all the excitement wears off, you sort of slide back to your happiness set point, wherever you are. So if you're a miserable person (laughs) and you win a million dollars, you're going to be a miserable millionaire. So uh, my book also talks about things that you can do to boost your own happiness set point because money is just a tool. If you can figure out what makes you happy and find your own equilibrium, then you can use the money as a tool to feed your own happiness, but not the other way around. Mm, I love that. That's so cool. And when you say money is a tool, you mean that it, it, you know, it doesn't have like emotion attached to it and that we shouldn't see it as bad or as good, but as simply a tool to help us live our best lives. And whether you need more of that or a little bit less of that, then yeah, kind of seeing it in like a neutral light. Is that what you mean by that? Yes. It's something for you to use to 
create, when you said that you live your best life, it's not the money that makes you live your best life. It's you figure out what your best life is and then you use the money to build that. Um, I think what we, we, well, what society also reinforces is that, well, you get the money and that's your best life. You know, then you could do all the wonderful things. Then you'll be happy. Then you'll, you know, you'll never know pain. <laughs> you'll, you'll go on vacation wherever you want. You'll never have worries. And that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting. And so when you're um, chatting with someone who feels a little bit out of control with their money, maybe they grew up in a family where money wasn't talked about. And as a result of that, they're kind of at a place in life where, you know, they have money, but they've never really sat down and assessed or done anything with budgeting or investing. Like, should we be sitting down and devoting time to planning how much money we want or need and what it's going to take to get there and then what we should do with it? Or is this something that we should just be winging every day? Okay. Even you just saying that (laughs) mouthful made my eyes glaze over just a (laughs) little bit. Just the fact that you have to sit down and like focus on something. That sounds kind of daunting. It, 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 it makes it sound like it's a chore. Um, but I would never say, man, you got to sit down and like, just seriously get serious about planning your vacation. Like just figure out your itinerary, figure out where you're going to go. People will spend hours and days at work planning a vacation and they will spend no time planning their financial life. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not i'm not i'm not pointing fingers i'm not saying why are you not doing it? i'm saying because of the language that we use because the way we see it we see it as a scary thing we see it as this oh god and you know i don't it's overwhelming it's this or you take blame or i oh i didn't save enough i feel so, you know i'm not going to swear cuz i don't know if i can swear in your <laughs> but <laughs> you can if you want <laughs> i feel so crappy about this and so it becomes a self you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're like, well, I don't want to think about this. It's, it's, it's making me miserable. So then you don't do anything and then it makes you more miserable. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, with any big, large animal, it's, you devour it small bites at a time, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, um, if you do feel overwhelmed, um, I'm not suggesting you go when you pick up a, a finance book <laughs> and start reading. Um, you can, because mine I've heard is very readable and fun, but I would just maybe say, I am going to look at my, um, bank purchases. You should be doing that anyways, every month. Um, so open your, open the app and look over the last week. Just make sure that it all looks right. You know, make sure that there are no mistakes because mistakes can be made and have been made, especially on credit card transactions and whatnot. So make that a thing. You know, by the end of this week, I'm going to look. I'm just going to look at, at, make sure everything's good. Maybe I'll also look at what I'm spending on and maybe I'll sort of think about um, the money that I have in the bank, what's left over. Just something small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that tip of just like tackling it one small step at a time and not leaving it for like an annual meeting with your partner or just with yourself of like, okay, now I have to tackle everything as it relates to money. It's like, oh my God, of course you're going to dread that day. That sounds terrible. I know one of my first business coaches, she said she just schedules in one hour every Monday and she calls it Money Monday. And she goes through her bank and codes all her expenses and categorizes receipts. She puts on fun music and she brews a nice coffee. And I'm like, 
yes, I love that. And I've tried to adopt it. It hasn't exactly stuck with me, but I see her, how she has this system and she doesn't make it a scary thing or a negative part of her day. It's actually how she starts her week. And she's flipped the script around how she should feel about her finances. I think that's the key, just flipping the switch. Not necessarily like that may not work for you, right? The money Monday may not work for you, but it's finding what fuels you. And so often, according to research, what helps is um, peer support. So can you find somebody who will check in with you every Sunday and say, this is, this is the goal that I want to do. This is the organization that I want to do. Let's check in and make sure that each other is on, on track. Or if you don't like going through all of your bills as an entrepreneur, um, Money Monday can become first Monday of the month. You and your best entrepreneur friend get together for coffee with a shoebox and you go and do it, but you do it together and mm-hmm. you get to spend time together and it's fun. Yeah. Just like how we call up a friend for a workout date, right? It should be no different when it comes to finances. It's another important pillar in our lives. Um, So is there a business tool or resource or app that as it relates to money and managing our finances that you feel like you couldn't live without and that you recommend to others? Oh, that's a good question. I don't. um, There is, there are various accounting apps out there um, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on them mostly because I uh, had three hours of sleep last night. <laughs> <laughs> and she still showed up for the podcast. Uh, full disclosure. Um, but there or are a lot of accounting like, apps out there. Even a podcast or a book that you've read, like something that you feel like is really helpful when it comes to managing your personal finance. I think you have to find the thing that motivates you. If you're not a if you're not a, a finance book reader, then um, I, I you know I don't suggest that you go out and buy a textbook or or dummy's guide for. I think if you like apps, then you can find um, something like um, Mint, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a budget aggregator. You basically link up all of your your bank accounts to this. Uh, app or program and it just basically categorizes everything for you shows you what you've spent on but there are downsides to a lot of things right so for example if you do sign up with mint people love it millions of people love it but you're sharing your bank information with them and so right. if it were to happen that could nullify your security guarantee that you have with your bank that they will return money that is stolen in fraud um, but millions of people love that app And so I'm always loath to say, oh, this is the one because there isn't really the one like some people like data entry. So there are other apps that will help you, you know, you take a photo of your receipt and it does the data entry for you. And then you add different places. And I hate data entry. (laughs) I just like, so I I don't want to do that. So I would rather go with a program like um, Mint, which does it for me. But again, I'm also freaked out by fraud. So I, um, I, I have used Mint in the past when I was younger. Um, nowadays, I do a lot more. Um, I'm old school. I love a pencil and a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that too. I always have like the paper to-do list beside me, even though I brought them online. I'm always like, there's just something about writing pen to paper. Oh, and yeah. I think, hey, if that system works great for you, then don't change it because it's obviously gotten you this far. So yeah, my budgets have gotten a little crazier as I've, since I've branched out, since I've got the family and since I've got the business as well. But in my twenties and even in my early thirties, I used to just go through all of my bank statements every month at the end of the month and write them down on a big pad of paper. Mm -hmm. And just, it was just this 
you know, it looked like I was, um, I was a conspiracy theorist. I was just writing numbers all over the place, but that was, it worked for me. And by the end I knew whether I was on track, where, what I'd spent on restaurants or entertainment and, um, it felt good. I, I liked it. So I think you got to do you, you got to find what motivates you and what works for you. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you can kind of follow all the finance gurus in the world, but their systems don't necessarily stick with you. So it's important to kind of explore, discover, and, and really try things on for size and uh, find what resonates. So I think that's an awesome yes. lesson. Sorry, I don't have a specific, I don't, I don't have a specific like magical app or book. Or, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, mean, I can't snap my fingers and just have all my finances taken care of for I'm me. I'm going to plug mine sorry. though. I'll plug my own book. Woohoo! Happy money. 100%, which will be linked in the show notes and I highly, highly suggest everyone go check it out. Um, now, I know we have so many aspiring and also startup and new entrepreneurs who listen to the show and they're just fascinated with people like yourself who have built a brand and a business doing something that they enjoy and that they can, you know, still live their life and, and have their family and be at home and, you know, all the joys. And of course, there are lots of um, hardships that come with owning your own business. But I would love for you to just share, like, what does a day in the life of Melissa look like right now? Like, how is it going? Like, when do you work? Where do you work? Just paint us a picture. Ah, I can't. I can't. It's just because right now I have a baby and I have a four-year-old. So it looks, um, it probably looks like a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got that. Got like, the picture. What is going on in that house? And then you would yeah. walk away. You would back away slowly um, <laughs> because it looked in, it just looked just like madness. Um, that's interesting. Um, like, are you writing? Are you speaking? Are you kind of just in like creation I mode? I am doing a little bit of everything, and so every day looks really different. I can't do a single day that is is normal. So, for example, this morning is me waking up with a crying baby and a crying four-year-old and rushing the four-year-old off to school and then rushing back so I could do this podcast. Um, I also have a speaking engagement coming up. So I have to, I, I'm just pulling together my team. Um, so I've got to go over things, everything from um, videography to working with my stylist for creating a look. Um, I have a, a campaign, a sponsorship campaign coming up that I'm really excited about. So uh, I'm gearing up for a photo shoot tomorrow. I also have to create um, um, uh, one of my upcoming speaking engagements is more of a workshop. And so I'm just creating a, a workbook to go over it. Uh, and <laughs> so I'm just going over some of the last details of the workbook this afternoon. And then I'm going to go pick up my son from school. Yeah. So there's a lot of things. Yeah. It's a juggling act. And I yeah. mean, I think that that's kind of the life of a business yes. owner is and the baby sleeps, different. which is amazing. And he's so cool and chill and happy. I wouldn't be able to do a lot of this if I didn't have um, him. And on the days that get really intense, like for example, um, when I go to the social, I've got another appearance on the social coming up. Um, I, uh, I hire a caregiver. And so you know, I obviously can't run out off the, uh, out of the studio. <laughs> to be, to be so on those days where I, I really cannot be at home, then I hire help. Mm -hmm. So important. And you mentioned something about your team. So do you have people who work alongside you to bring your vision to life or is it just you at this point? It is just me. I say the team is because I, I regularly go to the same people. 
Yes. Um, I work with the same stylist. I've worked with this stylist since the beginning of, of my, I guess this, this part of my, this chapter of my, my career. So when I became a, a, a freelancer, when I went on my own and sh- this person is, you know, we've become extremely close. She's also um, an incredible brand strategist. And so a lot of our conversations are just not, it's just not, oh, we're going to dress you. It's a, a conversation about the event and, and the look and how it fits. Um, um, uh, it's uh, great to have people that you trust uh, in your corner. And so I tend to work with the same photographer, same, um, same makeup artist, same um, videographer. Uh, uh, when I need extra help for, you know, staffing for books, I have um, interns that I regularly go to. So it's, it's, uh, I've been fortunate to find people to surround myself with people that I enjoy working with and who I, I believe in them. And I, I feel good that, that I believe in them. They believe in me. We're good. It's this is how it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's awesome to hear you say kind of that you, you, you do have a little bit of a tribe built up around you and it's not that you're like people managing them every day, but you've kind of got your, your trusted ones that you go to and that you can rely on and that help you bring all of this to life and help you run your business smoothly every day. Now, as we wrap up here, there's a question that we ask all of our guests on Visionary Life. And the question is, for someone who's listening to this podcast and listening to you thinking, wow, look at all that Melissa has done. This is amazing that she's a speaker and an author and you know, her, her career path is so inspiring. And if they're kind of yearning to do something similar, maybe they want to start up a side hustle or a passion project or want to go full time for themselves, but they have no idea where to begin. Like they just feel stuck. What advice could you offer someone who's in that position um, that you would want to share based on your own experience? Um, I don't want to say, okay, I could say, I thought about this actually, I've been thinking about this for a little bit. And so I could say something, you know, generic and, and motivational, like, you know, don't give up. Um, you have to keep the heat on because giving up is like turning the water, the heat off just before the water boils, right? Mm-hmm. You got to keep at it. So I could say something like that. But I, when I think back to when I was starting out, um, I saw the internet memes. I saw the Instagram motivational posters with the sky in the background that sort of says, <laughs> you know, you can do it. You're passionate and, and um, you got to start and don't worry, it'll work out. You just have to hustle and you have to work and the hustle's real and, um, and you know, go find your tribe. And, and but I, I, I want to give something more tangible. I, I need, I, 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 uh, something more than just create a vision board for yourself, right? Yeah. So if you think about where you want to be in one year, then if you were to reverse engineer that vision, there has to be some small little things that you can do right away, whatever it is to get you at least standing in the right place. And so you have to identify what those things are. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's um, depending on your business. So if it's one day you, I, you want to be on TV. Okay. Well then do you have any video of yourself? Um, does that mean you got to start creating some sort of video content, even if it's just some Instagram videos of yourself talking so that one day when you pitch to a TV station, you have content 
that they can look at because TV people want to vet you. They'll look you up first. So if you don't have anything yet, then you got to start creating. Then you start there. If it's, oh, I need to pitch my product. I want to get my product out there. Then one day you're going to have to have some sort of pitch. Do you have an elevator pitch? Do you have one line that describes what your content, what your product, what your uh, service is all about? And you got to start working on that. Send that out to some friends. Hey, what do you think about this? Does this sound great? You know, start working on that. If it's having a whole team, then get yourself out there. Um, start meeting people, start networking, meet people that one day you can text and say, Hey, I'm working on this. You know, can you help me? What do you think? So one thing, tangible thing that you can identify that will get you on the right path to being where you want to be. Mm, so good. Yeah. It reminds me of my favorite book is The Slight Edge. And it, it does talk about that. Like just what's the smallest viable thing you can do and do that day after day. And it could be even just the tiniest little thing that takes you two minutes, but it all helps you to uh, create that, that greater goal. And um, yeah, I, I just love that you said the reverse engineering. I think that's a really cool tip for the listeners. I get a lot of messages in my inbox about asking, asking me for how did I do this big thing? Like, how did you end up on TV? You know, how, how, did, yeah. you, uh, how did you get it with the speaker's beer? How did you get that gig? And how do you make like the money that you make doing this one thing? How'd you get that sponsorship? And I think I probably took a thousand steps <laughs> to get, mm -hmm. you know, so I can't tell you what the shortcut is. I can only tell you that think about the end and pick one step and take it. Mm, that's how it always works. It's never an overnight success kind of thing. So yeah, really, really important. So Melissa, this has been awesome. Um, I'm so excited that we're able to share your story and to have the listeners kind of hang out with us as we chat and learn more about your brand and your book and your passions. But I'm sure people want to learn a whole lot more about you. So where can they find you and where can they grab your book? Um, Happy Go Money is available at all participating bookstores online, um, in, in store. And I am most active on Instagram and my handle is at Liz Leong. I sometimes hang out on the other social media sites, but I'm not very good at them. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I have a great Instagram community and I, I, since I'm active on it, I do reply to all my DMs. I reply to all my comments. So if it's a place where you just want to have a chat and, and I have a lot of great friends there. So let's be friends. Absolutely. And I will plug all of that in our show notes. So thank you so much, Melissa. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app, I would be so grateful. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. If you're feeling stuck, uninspired, stagnant, bored, or confused in what your next step should be, it's time to take action. Please reach out because I'd love to connect with you. I'll catch you in the next episode.